So, religion um, is our topic. It's what we talked about last week, and I spent a few minutes last week explaining why I see the word religion as a derogatory term. I know probably most people don't interpret the word that way, um, and I understand that. Uh, if you look it up in the dictionary, there's a generic um, definition to be found. I think by most of humanity, when you mention the word religion, they think it's a good thing. They not only think it's a good thing, they think it's a universally good thing. I mean, a little religion can't hurt, right? A little religion is not going to hurt anybody. While I understand um, people do use the word religion in a generic sense, my use of the word religion is based upon what I see in Scripture and in my 60 years on this planet and my 30 years as a Christian. And by my definition, religion hurts everyone who engages in it. No one goes unscathed when they enter into religion. I told you last week that religion is Satan's best scam and he takes billions to hell with just a little bit of religion, right? I, I was going to share with you Matthew Mead. Uh, he wrote the book, The Almost Christian Discovered, and he said something I've never forgotten and I think it's appropriate when we're talking about man-made religion. He said, no man was ever kept out of heaven for his confessed badness, though many are kept out of heaven for their supposed goodness. And I think maybe that one single quote encapsulates my view of religion as much as any other. So last week, we talked about world religions in general, and I made a few points, and I'm going to review just a couple of points because I don't ever want you to forget these points. Um, we said biblical Christianity is utterly unique. It is not a world religion. It cannot be compared to any other world religion. It is not a world religion. It is utterly and completely distinct. And if you think about it, if you read your Bibles and think deeply about it, you understand what I'm saying is true. Religion is always about something that man has done. Man is doing to make himself... Uh, acceptable or agreeable to God. This is the fundamental, uh, in my view, uh, fundamental foundational definition of religion. Christianity is utterly different. It's not about, you know, Christianity, I was, I was listening to an apologist this week, and he said, you know, world religions are about uh, having to do. Christianity is about it's done, right? It's not about um, us coming to God. It's, what's it about? What's biblical Christianity about? It's about God coming to us, right? It's utterly unique. It cannot be included in a discussion about world religions. Biblical Christianity. I always make that qualification. I'm not talking about pseudo-Christianity. I'm talking about biblical Christianity. Bib you know, Christianity that's built on this alone. No garbage, just this. Biblical Christianity. So I want to make a few points. Um... We talked about last week, religion, it's always procedural. It's something the adherents do. Biblical Christianity, 
it's always relational. <laughs> it's about God invading our lives and pulling us into relationship with Him. Religion is creature-conceived and man-centered. Biblical Christianity is God-conceived and God-centered. Does anybody remember who is the source of mankind's religious confusion? Does anybody remember from last week? Satan. We made the biblical argument that Satan is the source of all human religions. I know that this may be alien to some of you to, to hear this, but it's biblically true. Anyone remember Satan's line of attack and pulling humanity into religion? Pulling humanity out of relationship with God and pulling humanity into uh, self-righteous religion. Anybody remember what his line of attack was in the garden? Anybody? He came attacking God's Word. Amen? He came to Eve, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Indeed has God said. So he comes attacking the Word of God. And an attack on the Word of God is always an attack on God Himself. This is why it's so important for us to understand that there's a difference between true Christianity and biblical Christianity. That's why we read Galatians chapter 1, or part of it. Right? Paul says if someone preaches a different gospel, a contrary gospel, of course the inference is they're out there. They've been out there since the first century. A different gospel, a contrary gospel, they call themselves Christian. They use Christian words, but they take the truth and they add a little bit here and they take a little bit away over here. This is what Satan does. This is how Satan has been so astute at creating Christian religion. Satan attacked God's Word. Eve had all she needed, right? To rebut and repel this attack. What did she have? Someone tell me. She had God's Word. God said, don't eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Don't eat that tree. Everything else is yours. Just don't do that. She didn't have a thousand rules to follow. She had one. One prohibition. That's all she had. She had all she needed. All she had to do was say, God said no. That's all I need to know. That's how you live, right? God said no. I, I'm not supposed to live like that. I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to speak like that. I am supposed to incorporate that into my life. I should be in the body of Christ. I should be sharing the gospel. I mean, you order your life around what God has said, right? That's what we do. That's what Christians do. None of us do it perfectly. But that's who we are. That's what we do. But Eve failed to believe God's Word and she failed to use God's Word. She did doubt the goodness and the character of God because that's what Satan was impugning. And so we saw the birth of human religion. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 7. Anybody remember? And they lost their naked innocence before God and they took fig leaves and, and did so for themselves. Coverings. And as I shared with you last week, this was, many will assert this is the beginning of, of human religion. Trying to make myself acceptable before God with my creature doings, as one theologian calls it, with my creature doings. And I guess the last point I'll mention in review from last week is we talked about how you can always tell 
a man-made religion when you see one. Anybody remember? Anybody remember the key issue? And I'm talking again, I'm still reviewing last week, I'm talking about religions other than the Christian one, which was, is always a pseudo one because there's no such thing as Christian religion in my view. There's biblical Christianity, which is relational. And then there's this pseudo stuff that uh, is out there as well. But what was the key among world religions? How do we know they're false? It's what they do with Jesus. It's what they say about Jesus. Right? That's how you know. That's the plumb line. Right? If they say He's less than God Himself, it's false. If they say He's merely a good prophet, it's false. If they say He's a God among many other gods, it's false. If they say He's a false Messiah, the religion is false. If they alter or diminish what the Bible says about Him in any way, it is false. If they simply ignore Him as irrelevant, it is false. Any religion that tells either an explicit or implicit lie about Jesus, and they all do, we know the origin of that religion, right? We talked about it last week. If Jesus speaks the truth, and He does, then He's God. And anyone who says anything to the contrary is false, right? And if a religion is false, it's not true. And if it's not true, it's a lie. And if it's a lie, where did it come from? Somebody tell me. I know you know. The father of lies, John chapter 8, Jesus said He's the father of lies. So if somebody's lying about Jesus, I know it's strong to speak this way. I know in, in our polit politically correct culture we're supposed to not speak this way. But listen, I've got to be able to speak this way in the pulpit, right? I've got to be able to speak this way. If they lie about Jesus, it's demonic. It's a demonic religion. It's simply demonic if we actually believe what the Scripture has to say. And I got a great email this week from one of my faithful congregants. Uh, one of our new congregants, actually. Richard Sanders. This is Richard right here. Uh, an American genius engineer guy. Um, he said, you know, last week I kept waiting for you to to quote 1 John chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. Some of you probably already have it in your head. Thank you, Richard. It says, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Amen? It goes on to say, This is the Antichrist. Listen. I know we live in a pluralistic culture, and that's good in the sense that there is tolerance and there, need, there should always be tolerance. We don't, we, we, we don't, Christians don't ever try to force anybody to believe what we believe. We simply sow truth. We love people. We serve people. We sow the truth. That's what we do. We're not trying to bludgeon anybody. We're not trying to force anybody. We're not going to kill anybody. We're not going to martyr anybody. You know, we're just going to sow truth. We're going to love and serve and sow truth. That's what Christians do, right? I want you to make sure you hear that. <laughs> that's, what true, that's what true Christians do. So, I'm not fomenting any kind of uh, tension here with our 
friends who are tied up in some of these false religions. What I'm trying to do is encourage you to see what's at stake because our friends and sometimes our family, they're involved in demonic uh, deception. We should know this. We, 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 we need to be praying about this and we need to be at work in their lives sharing truth with them. So while Satan has been stunningly successful in marketing the world religions to mankind, I, I, I have no doubt that his proudest achievement has been his success in contriving and peddling pseudo-Christianity in all of its varied forms. Accordingly, mankind has taken God's Word and added a little bit here, as I said a while ago, and taken a little bit away there, and has created what I call Christian religion. It's, what I mean by that is non-biblical Christianity. When I, you hear me use the phrase Christian religion, I'm talking about Christianity that is a non-biblical kind. It is therefore a religion by my definition. It is false. It is pseudo. And we see this expressed in many different ways. We can, we can talk about the religious, uh, religious, pardon me, ritualistic works-based sacramental system of Roman Catholicism. We could talk about the liturgical mysticism and superstition and icon worship of uh, Eastern Orthodoxy. We could talk about the liberal, cheap grace, cotton candy, name it and claim it, word of faith genres of modern Protestantism. Listen, when I talk about Christian religion, I don't leave anybody unscathed. If it's false, it's false. If they've added something to the Gospel, it's a different Gospel. It's not the biblical Gospel. It's false. You're supposed to know this. And you're supposed to put every teaching up against the plumb line of the Word of God. I tell you almost every time, not almost every time, but a lot when you come in here, don't believe it because I say it. Believe it because you see it. You see it in here. Don't ever believe it because I say it. Don't ever believe it because some teacher says it. You heard some guy on the internet. Don't. If it's not in here, it's speculation. I don't care how cool his hat is. And how cool his robe is. I don't care. If, it's, if it can't be justified, if it can't be found here, it's, it's the speculations of men. I want to make sure you understand we don't profess to have a corner on the truth at ICM, but here's the deal. We know how to read our Bible. And when someone says something contrary to what the Bible says, guess what? It's wrong. <laughs> and we should be able to say it. Out in the world, not simply here, but out in the world. We need to be able to speak it in love. God expects that of you. That's one reason you're still here. <laughs> that you'll speak truth in love. And the only way you can speak truth in love, beloved, is that you know the truth. And you recognize the lie when you hear it. You recognize... Satan's fingerprints when you hear it. Galatians 1 again, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting Christ who called you by the grace of Jesus Christ for a different Gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the Gospel of Christ. This is what I'm talking about. A distorted Gospel. That's Christian religion. 
He continues, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be a cursed exclamation point in the NAS. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be a cursed exclamation point. These are not my words. These are the words of God, beloved. God takes it pretty serious when men are fast and loose with the Scriptures. When men, again, take a little way here, add a little bit here. God does not mince His words. <laughs> Read the Old Testament and the New Testament. God simply doesn't mince His words. God hates it when men distort the truth and He makes it clear how He feels about it. So what is the essence of the biblical gospel? It's one of the unforgettable lessons. We went through uh, the book of Colossians, I think maybe at Ratio. I think I remember they were around at this time back in 2010. Uh, the blasphemy, it's the blasphemy of adding something to the finished work of Jesus. You may remember uh, some were trying to add J Jewish legalism. Some were trying to add Greek philosophy. Some were trying to add Eastern mysticism. But as you read Colossians, if you study it closely, you can, you can almost see it between every line. Paul is saying, don't you dare add anything to Christ. If you add anything to Christ, it's false. It's demonic. Go read. Go spend some deep time in Colossians. So what is the essence of the Gospel? We are saved... By grace, through faith in Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In 2 Corinthians 11, 13-15, Paul writes, For such men are false apostles. He's talking about those who are preaching another gospel. Listen to him. Listen to what God says. They're false apostles. They're deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even, oh, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Satan doesn't come to us as Satan. He doesn't come to us and say, hey, I'm the devil. He comes to us oftentimes in these last days through men who call themselves preachers to men who call themselves popes to men who call themselves patriarchs. Satan comes in these guises. Oh, and sometimes he comes, from, he comes through an angel of light according to Scripture. Beloved, if an angel appears to you tonight and contradicts this, do you know what you're experiencing? Can you, can you know what you're experiencing? Can you know that it's satanic and demonic? Will you know that? Or will you be so impressed that some uh, demonic, angelic creature has appeared to you? <laughs> you wouldn't believe some of the stories I get sometimes. <laughs> things that people have experienced. But it's obviously not of God. It contradicts this. This. And if it contradicts this, we know where it comes from. And we know how God feels about it. 
Beloved, it doesn't matter how magnificent their cathedrals are, or how cool their robes are, or how impressive their title and position may be. If they add to or take away from the biblical gospel, I'm going to go back and quote it again. Philippians 3.3, we've been talking about it for the last five, six weeks. Paul says, God says they're dogs and they're evil workers. Does it mean we disrespect them? No. But we have to be able to stand and say, that's simply not the truth. That's not what the Bible says. You know, uh, I learned a long time ago, I never say anymore what I believe. Who cares what I believe? Really, who cares what I believe? Everybody believes something, right? Everybody on the planet believes something. I never say that anymore. I don't say it. Well, I believe. I say God says. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to accept that, that the Bible is the Word of God, but that's not my problem. What I need to say is, God says. This is what God says. They say, well, Jim, I don't accept the Bible as the Word of God. I say, well, that's up to you. That's your problem. That's not my problem. I'm convinced it is the Word of God, and God says. Listen, don't say what you believe, because everybody believes something. It's not, it's, here's the deal. It's not that important what you believe. It's important what God says. It's important what God says. It is important what you believe. But we, we shouldn't talk like this because obviously the person we're talking to believes something. I, let me say it this way. What's preeminently important is what God has to say. So if we know our Bibles, we know that virtually every book of the New Testament is dealing with false teachers and a false gospel. As soon as Jesus had come and saved His people and ascended into heaven, the false teachers started, the false teachers started uh, with their pseudo-gospels. Um, what has happened in what is called Christendom today is not unprecedented. It started in the Old Testament. If you know your Old Testament, you understand. It started with Old Testament Judaism. So it seemed good to me to just briefly look at this reality in the Old Testament. Uh, how the Old Testament Jews moved off from what God had clearly said and moved off into apostasy. Some into gross idolatry. While others just let their Judaism become kind of brain-dead, heart-dead, ceremonial, ritualistic, procedural which is what has happened to a lot of what is called Christendom today. So, um, I'm just going to take a few selected scriptures and let's just see how God views and reacts to those who profess loyalty to Him but move away into apostasy. Just a couple of scriptures I want to look at tonight. Where does apostasy always start? It starts with the clergy. <laughs> for, apostasy, for apostasy to take hold, it always starts with the clergy. It starts with the ministers. It starts with the priests. That's where it always starts. It begins with self-serving, unprincipled, duplicitous, even cowardly, and maybe sometimes ignorant clergy. A clergy that loves their job security more than they love their people. And when you encounter pseudo-Christianity, you are 
no doubt encountering the fruit of pseudo-clergy. Uh, and I'm going to give you a few passages here out of the Old Testament. Jeremiah 6, 13-15, God says, it's God speaking to false, false clergy. For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the brokenness of My people super, superficially saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time that I punish them. They shall be cast down, says the Lord. Jeremiah 23, just a few selected verses. God says, Woe to the shepherds, the prophets, and the priests, for they are polluted. I have found their wickedness in My house. They have done an offensive and horrible thing. They lead into futility and speak from their own imagination. Amen? Ever surf the internet and listen to some of these guys? They intend to make my people forget me. Behold, I am against the prophets. He says it three times there in Jeremiah 23. I am against the prophets. I am against the prophets. They have perverted my words, and I will put an everlasting reproach. Upon them quickly, Malachi chapters 1 and 2, just a few selected verses. God says, where's my honor? Where's my respect, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, you priests who despise my name. How does a priest despise the name of Jehovah? By propagating falsehood. By adding to the word or taking away from the word. It's a serious matter, beloved. It's a serious matter to God. You know, I tremble for some of these guys. Some of these guys that are so fast and loose with the Word of God, I tremble for them. It's only mercy and grace and forbearance that God doesn't take them out, in all honesty. God says, oh, I wish you'd just shut it down. This is Malachi chapter 1. Some would be familiar with it. I, I just wish you'd shut the gate that you'd not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased. You get the point? <laughs> um, in the Old Testament, pseudo-Judaism flowed out of an apostate priesthood. This is the same thing that's happened in New Testament Christianity. It begins with false shepherds, false priests, false ministers, and false teachers. It's been my experience uh, in the last 30 years or so that there's a, there's a, a, a certain kind of naivete among the, the laity. The naivete is this. Not, not, not everyone, obviously. But it's somewhat pervasive. Well, if, if a priest says it, it must be right. Or if a preacher says it, it must be right. Or if a pope says it, it must be right. Or if a patriarch says it, it must be right. Beloved, do I have to tell you? No! It's not right, necessarily. It doesn't follow just because they say it that it is evidently right because they say some outrageous things. They say some nonsensical things, some contradictory things. I'll even say blasphemous things. Anything that comes out of a clergyman's mouth that can't be uh, supported by this, it's at best speculation and at worst blasphemous. 
God does not expect you to believe everything that comes out of a so-called clergyman's mouth. He expects you to know the Word of God so well that you can rightly divide it. You can rightly say, this is a false teacher. He's teaching falsely. I take my family and I leave this place. It's certainly okay to speak with this false teacher. But uh, false teachers are hard sales. It's been my experience. So our authority, our authority is the Word of God. The 39 books of the Old Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament. That is our authority. That's, that's, that's ICM's authority. We, we, we're not interested in what, you know, Councils say, or conventions, or assemblies, or synods, or creeds, or catechisms, or popes, or patriarchs, or even angels of light. We're not really that interested. They may say some good things. But ultimately, really, all we're interested in is what does God say about it? I don't need to know what the Pope has to say about homosexuality. I already know what God says about it. I don't need to know what the council says about abortion. I know what God says about it. It's great if they get it right. <laughs> but sometimes they get it wrong. They have their own agendas. Religious men have their own agendas. Go read the Gospel of John. They wanted to kill Jesus from the get-go. Religious men! Listen, you've got to understand this, beloved. It's religious men that killed Jesus. Apostate Judaism killed Jesus. We know it's apostate for any number of reasons, not least of which they killed their Messiah. Just a brief parenthetical aside here. Uh, what was October 31st? Did anybody know? Anybody know what October 31st was? I'm not thinking about Halloween. Reformation Day. What was Reformation Day? Someone tell me. Martin Luther nailed the... Okay, how many? 95. 95 thesis to the church door. Ed Wittenberg. Been there. Done that. It was great. Um, and why did he do that? Because he was challenging the false teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. Remember, they were teaching that if you'll give money, of course, they're trying to finance St. Peter's Basilica, right? And the thing was, well, if you'll, if you'll give some money, um, yeah, well, you'll get an indulgence from the Pope. Less time in purgatory, right? Okay, is this not a perfect illustration of what I'm trying to say to you? When men leave Scripture and they just start making up so stuff, indulgences, that's made up. It's not in the Bible. Purgatory is made up. It's not in the Bible. <laughs> so Luther is challenging the Pope and the teaching arm of the Pope. Four years later, April 18th, this was in October 31, 1517, when he nailed those theses on the church door at Wittenberg. Four years later, he's standing before an archbishop and, he's in, and the archbishop is demanding that he recant. And this is, what, this is what Martin Luther says. Unless I'm convicted by Scripture and plain reason, reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. 
My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. Okay, that's just an aside. Close parentheses on that. But do you understand how the Reformation was born? Men standing on truth. Okay? The Catholic Church had become so corrupt. Men said, we're out of here. And that was the birth of the Reformation. Apostasy arose within Old Testament Judaism, within the clergy. And why were these guys successful? Does anybody, anybody remember? Why, why were the Old Testament uh, priests successful in their, apost- in their apostasy? Isaiah 30, verses 9-10, through 10, For this, God says, This is a rebellious people. They're false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the prophets, You must prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us in pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. <laughs> Isn't that what we see in a significant portion of New Testament Christianity? I want to play happy church. Tell me how to rub God just right so He'll bless me just right. Name it and claim it garbage. Word of faith, garbage. It's the same thing. Just speak to me in pleasant words and illusions. People who didn't want the truth of God. They didn't want it. So false teachers flourished for this reason. And I'm just going to, there's many passages I could go to, but listen to Amos 5, 21, 23. Maybe one of the most poignant passages in all the Bible. God says, you know, Judaism is, is completely apostate. God says, I hate it. Listen, did you know you could go to a place of worship and God would hate it? Did you know that? If it's false, He hates it. Did you know that? God says, I hate it! I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in the, your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. God says, I hate false religion. It's why I challenge you every Sunday when you come in here. Don't you dare come in here and be religious. God hates religion. You come in here and you love Christ. You come in here and you offer yourself up to Christ. You come in, you come in here and you open yourself up, up to being changed by the Spirit of God. That's why we come in here. <laughs> it's not about religion. God hates it if we've actually read our, and understood our Bibles. And we know again that Judaism was apostate when Jesus arrived on the scene by virtue of the fact that they persecuted Him and ultimately killed Him. And Jesus was in constant conflict with, oh, guess who? The religious guys. The head religious guys. Mark 7, 6-9, Jesus says, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you, you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me. Did you know you can worship in vain? Did you know you can? If you're worshiping falsely and brain dead, heart dead, I'm just showing up because I think maybe that'll please God if I show up or it's some cultural cultural habit I have. Do you know God hates vain worship? He hates it! 
Don't speak my name in vain. Do you know you can stand here and you can sing about God and if you don't really mean it, it's vain. Do you know that, beloved? It's vain. It's vain. He says, Jesus says to the religious authorities, you're teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandments of God. You hold to the tradition of men. And you remember what he told the Pharisees again, the religious leaders, he said, over in Matthew 23, he said eight times, he says, woe to you, you are hypocrites, you are blind guides, you are fools, you are serpents, you are vipers, you are sons of hell, you are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones, you are full of all uncleanness and all unrighteousness. These were the priests. Do you understand why you're, you're supposed to be discerning? And, you know, sometimes I get critiqued for being a little too blunt about this, this matter. But you know what? I don't know how long you're going to be in here. And I know some of you came out of false stuff. I just don't want you to ever go back to false stuff. Right? I've been doing this for 10 years. We probably had 700 people flow through here. Okay? That's a great platform for me to be able to challenge people. You know, Karen says, we're well, always talking about pseudo-Christianity. Yes, I am! Because it's so prevalent! And it's so deadly! It's so deceptive. And many of you have come from a place like that. And my prayer is that if you get enough Bible, you won't go back to that. You'll never go back to that. I've got another... T well, go read John 8. You'll love it. I I'm running out of time, so I'm going to move on. Um, so why am I belaboring the point that apostate clergy were prevalent in the Old Testament and prevalent in the New Testament? Yes, that's right. It's because they are prevalent today. It is the relentless demonic attempt which is still going on today. What was going on in, uh, in, when Paul wrote the letter to Galatia, right? There was a different gospel, a gospel contrary to the truth circulating. The same thing is happening today. You need to know this. You need to understand this. You need to be able to speak against this. God expects His people to be able to know the truth and speak the truth. So why do... False teachers and denominations flourish today because so many are just like the Old Testament Jews. We want pleasantries and illusions. You guys know the great text as Paul writes to Timothy. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Men always love a good tickle and a good myth as opposed to the truth of God. This is by and large what men seem to prefer. So Old Testament Judaism went into apostasy. Uh, New, New Testament Christianity by and large has gone into apostasy. I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases 2 Timothy 4, 3-4. People will have no stomach for solid teaching. <laughs> But will fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on the truth and they will chase mirages. Amen. That's been my experience in 30 years of ministry. So, how can we tell pseudo-Christianity when we bump into it? Three ways. What they say about Jesus, what they say about the Bible, what they say about salvation. Regarding Jesus, it won't be the biblical Jesus in that church even though it has a Christian label on it. It'd be some kind of cartoon Jesus, right? Um, some user-friendly, uh, dumbed-down version of Jesus will not be the biblical Jesus who says hard things 
and, 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 and challenges His people directly. What do they say regarding the Bible? Uh, well, in a pseudo-church, uh, the Bible will not be their final authority. They will put traditions, councils, and church dogma on par with the Bible. Regarding salvation, uh, pseudo-Christianity will add religion to it. Jesus is not enough. You must have prayers. You must have sacraments. You must have ordinances. You must have membership. You must have religious works. You must have etc., etc., etc. It's always adding something to the finished work of Jesus. So that's three ways to, to know what you're involved in. Obviously, anyone who knows anything about the so-called Christian cults, that being Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, Christian Science, etc., knows that these groups either add to or take away from God's revelation in the Bible. But my point here is that many so-called mainline denominations have done much the same thing. So we can define pseudo-Christianity as any denomination or teacher that takes the message of the 66 books of the Bible and seeks to, one, reinterpret it, Meaning to twist and distort the obvious meaning of the biblical words. I hit this all the time. <laughs> the Bible says X, Y, Z, and some minister will say, "Oh no, that's A, B, C. That's what." The, oh, if you read the Greek, it's A, B, C. <laughs> it's it's astonishing. Uh, revisionist uh, interpretations that you run into all the time. Um, Pseudo Christianity will seek to amend the Bible. They'll alter it or modify it or revise it uh, from its clear meaning. They'll edit the Bible. They subtract or remove so-called error from Scripture. They supplant the Bible. They put traditions and the words of men in place of Scripture. They truncate the Bible. Uh, they uh, seek to ignore or disregard passages that, are, uh, that they simply don't like. They discount the Bible. They dismiss any literal significance, consequence, or import to any text they don't like. They supplant the Bible meaning to put so-called truth, so-called revelation or tradition not found in the Bible in a chief place of worship and practice. They contextualize the Bible, meaning to discount the full meaning of the Bible's words due to the cultural differences between the 1st and 21st centuries. There are many, many other things I could say here, but I, I think you get the point. They take this and they, they're fast and loose with it. That's pseudo-Christianity. That's Christian religion. That's Christian religion. So... We're not religious at ICM. <laughs> um, it's not about what we've done and are doing. It's always about what Jesus Christ has done and is doing. We understand that we are helpless sinners saved by the sovereign grace of an awesome God. Our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We don't need religion. We know the living God and we are hopelessly in love with Him. We're not a religious people. We're a people in love with Jesus Christ. And that's what biblical Christianity has always looked like, beloved. If you have any questions, please let me know. I've got a lot more in my notes.